You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. Greetings, fellow believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. In this episode, I will teach what it means to be a disciple of the kingdom of God. Now, this is a follow-up on my previous teaching on the history of Israel. So there will be a, a bit of repetition, a little bit of review. Now, after the Exodus, God established the nation of Israel as the priestly representative of God's kingdom on the earth. The kingdom of God should probably best be defined as the authority, viewpoint, and policy of God for every creature that he created. It's the realm of his authority and viewpoint in the universe. Now, the nation's job was to represent the advancement of God's kingdom of light as his plan progressed toward the arrival of the promised Messiah. That's why they are considered the the stewards of the kingdom. That is, representatives of God's truth for entering into a salvation relationship with God. And also, how to live on the earth, radiating the character uh, that God desires in each of his uh, believers. Justice, mercy, faithfulness, and the love of God. Exodus 19.6 states the establishment of that purpose. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And also at Deuteronomy 4, 6, and 7. So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as is the Lord our God whenever we call on him? Isaiah 43.10 declares the nation as witnesses to God's glory. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. Now, through many bumps and snags, the the nation fulfilled that purpose um, until the Messiah Redeemer actually arrived on the earth. Um, The vineyard parable that Jesus taught at Matthew 21, 33 through 44, shows that the purpose of the nation is so that God can receive his produce. Uh, In the context, uh, that produce is the glorification of God and the promotion of his kingdom. But it also illustrates the nation's failure. And the words of Jesus at verse 43 confirms the concept that they had or possessed the kingdom. For he said to them, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. Also at Matthew 8, 11, and 12, Jesus uses the term sons of the kingdom. He uses that term to refer to the Jewish people who at that 
present time were, in fact, God's administrators of the integral kingdom of God. But since, uh, as a nation and as, as a group of people as a whole, they rejected Jesus as the Savior, in the heavenly sphere of the kingdom of God, as symbolized by the banquet in the passage, they will be cast out into the outer darkness. Only those who trust in Jesus as the Messiah and Savior will become true citizens of the kingdom of God. And uh, in the future, they would participate in that symbolic banquet in the heavenly kingdom. But the Jewish people as a whole, that is, the Jewish race and nation, comprised of those who uh, did not, do not trust in Jesus, they will no longer be considered sons of the kingdom. But up until that time, it can certainly be said of them that they possess the kingdom of God. That is, they possess the privilege and the responsibility to represent the truth of God's kingdom to the world. After the people rejected Jesus as the anointed Savior, the kingdom of God was taken away from them and assigned to a nation producing the desired fruit. Now, Jesus was not talking about the physical earthly kingdom that was promised to David. He was talking about responsibility as stewards of the spiritual or, or, or integral kingdom of God, uh, God's kingdom of light. Uh, that is the entire sphere of his viewpoint and policy, uh, as it in fact governs uh, all of creation. Now, of course, God knew that the nation would reject the Messiah. At Acts 2.23, uh, this one delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. And at Acts 3.18, but the things which God previously announced by the mouths of all the prophets that his anointed one would suffer, he has fulfilled in this way. And Jesus himself told the disciples, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all the things that are written about me in the Law and Prophets and Moses and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And based on the nation's rejection of Jesus, he proclaimed to them that the kingdom of God, that, that is the vineyard, will be taken away from you and given to a nation producing the fruit of it. Now, from the very beginning of Christ's ministry, God intended to build a new body of believers to represent him on the earth until the timing for the second coming would arrive. And at that time, God will again return to using the Jewish people as his representatives on the earth. This is not a replacement theology idea. The uh, uh, establishment of the church as the new priestly representative is uh, uh, is is a temporary replacement uh, but in the meantime god will build and is building a new nation to represent him and during christ's ministry his teaching to the nation of israel was not an offer to enter 
the promised Davidic earthly kingdom. His teaching was to the people of Israel and to the various Gentiles who would hear. His message was an offer to become part of that new evangelistic body of believers. You know, we have John 1, 11 and 12. He was in the world. The world was made by him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But to as many as did receive him, Jew, Gentile, to them he gave the authority to become children of God. Uh, he told his audience, the recipients of his message, Jew or Gentile, Samaritan, he told them to believe in the light so that they would become sons of light. From the start, Christ's teachings were directed first to the Jewish people and leaders, reaffirming the way of love as the SOP for living in God's kingdom of light here on earth. And he taught the disciples as those who would become the foundation layers for that new creation, that new nation, the new body of representatives to proclaim the, the true issues concerning the kingdom of God. As Paul wrote at Ephesians 2.20, God's household is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Jesus didn't teach them to, to live, how to live, that is, in a, in a future Davidic kingdom, but how to live right now. The content of his message always revolved around two integral things about the kingdom of God. One, how to enter the kingdom of God through faith in the gospel of the kingdom. Mark 1, 14 and 15, Matthew 9, 35. And then secondly, how to live in the kingdom of God right now as sons of light. A good example is the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. But we must also understand that the kingdom of God has a future perspective. The believer lives right now in the sphere of the kingdom of God. But our future destiny is to live in the heavenly kingdom in our resurrection bodies as the bride of Christ for all eternity. That's what Jesus meant at Luke 21, 31, when he said, when you see all these things, recognize that. In other words, when you see these events that lead up to the coming of Christ, recognize, one, Christ is near, right at the door, two, your redemption is drawing near. Three, the kingdom of God is near. The redemption that is in view is the completion of our salvation through resurrection, as per Romans 8, 23, the, res the, the, the redemption of our body. The arrival of the kingdom of God refers to our physical entrance into God's kingdom through resurrection. This is also what Paul meant when he told believers. Through many tribulations, we shall enter the kingdom of God. So our entrance into the king, kingdom of God is, is first a spiritual entrance through the new birth. As per John 3, 3 and 5. Uh, this is uh, what Jesus focused on when he taught that the kingdom is near. It's here. It's right at hand. It's among you. The kingdom of God is upon you. In the very person of Jesus Christ. It was a kingdom that could be experienced and entered into at that, at that very moment. Uh, 
Paul taught at Colossians 1, 13 and 14, for he rescued us out from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the current entrance into the uh, spiritual or integral kingdom of God. And then there is the future entrance through resurrection. Now at death, even though the believer will be face to face with the Lord, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 5, uh, in heaven, this does not complete the fulfillment of our redemption, for that must await the resurrection body that is described at 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. Behold, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. And as I mentioned earlier, Romans 8.23, not only that, but our, uh, we ourselves uh, having the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Now, during Christ's ministry, he sent out the disciples to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God. He sent out the 12, and then he sent out 70 others a bit later, all with the same commission. The instructions he gave them entailed not only the immediate time period of their ministry to the Jewish people, but also looked forward to the time when they would minister before Gentiles as well. He said, be on guard against people for they will handle a uh, hand hand you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues and you will even be brought before governors and kings on my account as a testimony to them and to the gentiles and he told them that their ministry would extend far into the future and not be completed until the second coming of the son of man Matthew 10:23 he told them I, I say to you you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the son of man comes Now this commission established them and those who would become believers through their teaching as the new evangelistic agent that would carry the gospel throughout the world Accordingly he told them that they were now the possessors of the kingdom of God uh, Luke 12, 32, he told them, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. We saw at Matthew 21, 43, the kingdom of God will be taken away from Israel. And here at Luke 12, 32, your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. So Jesus does not see them or deal with them as representing Israel or the Jewish people, but as members of a new nation, a new body which he calls my church at Matthew 16, 18. And accordingly, the disciples are designated as disciples of the kingdom, the kingdom that God gave to them. As such, they were commissioned to be representatives of his truth at that time and after his resurrection. That is, to be proclaimers of the gospel of the kingdom of God. In Matthew 13, 52, Jesus taught them, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven 
is like a head of a household who brings out of his treasure new things and old. Now, this refers to application of God's truth that was revealed before the arrival of the Messiah, the old things, and application of God's truth that is revealed because of and after Christ's arrival, the new things. For example, in regard to evangelism, we find it Acts 28:23, when they had set a day for Paul, people came to him at his lodging in large numbers, of course, at the end of his ministry. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus, the new things, from both the law of Moses and from the prophets, the old things. And in regard to Christian living, Romans 15, 4 says, whatever was written in earlier times, the old things, was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement from the scriptures, we might have hope. Of course, this was always in anticipation that God would take away the kingdom of God from the Jewish nation and that it would be given to a new nation, the nation producing the fruit of it. So the kingdom of God, or rather the responsibility to represent God's kingdom of light, was indeed given specifically to the disciples. According to that, full leadership responsibility was given to the disciples. This is seen at Matthew 16 and, and Matthew 18. Uh, I also say to you that you are, uh, talking to Peter, I say to you that you are a stone, and upon this the rock, signifying himself, I will build my assembly, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. The word for church is ecclesia and is usually translated church and usually refers to local church assemblies. But it's also used to refer to what is designated as the universal church, which is what Jesus built upon himself, the rock. In this sense, it means a specific group of people who have been called out or even appointed by God to constitute an organization or assembly to be his official representatives on the earth. Thus, the function and responsibility of representing the kingdom of God was given first to the disciples. Now, in Matthew 18, 18, this is assigned to all the disciples. This is not something that was just given to Peter. It says there, truly, I say to you all, you guys, plural, whatever you, plural, shall bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you shall loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So that uh, leadership authority was assigned to the entire group of disciples. Of course, uh, Judas forfeited that when he failed to even trust in Jesus as Savior. And then, after Christ's resurrection, the day of Pentecost marked the official establishment of Christ's priestly assembly. It was given to all members of that assembly to be the evangelistic representative of God's kingdom of light and to proclaim it through the world. All members of the church, all believers in Christ, are considered 
disciples of the kingdom. Uh, Paul described uh, this assembly at Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, and uh, included all Gentile believers. So then you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God by the Spirit. Peter described it at 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. You are a chosen people, usually translated elect people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Accordingly, the new nation is designated as the church or the assembly of God. Um, at 1 Corinthians 10.32, for example, uh, and Ephesians 3.21, and Ephesians 5, 23 through 32, uh, 321 says to him be the glory in the assembly, in the church, not the local church. Although, of course, the local church is also responsible for representing Christ. But the focus is on the, the role of the, uh, the church body, the universal church. Uh, to him be the glory um, by the church and uh, by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Now, I need to suggest a technical meaning for the word called and calling. Basically, the word means to invite. We see this is at Matthew 22, 14. Many are called, that is, many are invited, but few are chosen, few are elect. If a person accepts the calling invitation from God, that person is then designated as the chosen of God or the elect. But they are also designated as a called person using the word group kaleo. And the adjective kletos takes on the technical meaning of appointed. In other words, they are no longer called or invited, but since they have accepted that invitation, they are now in a condition of having been appointed. They are called. Uh, so believers, those who have accepted the salvation invitation are now part of the ecclesia, the called out assembly, and they're designated as called ones or appointed ones. The adjective platos is used this way many times. Romans 1, 6 and 7, among whom you also are the called ones of Jesus Christ. That is the appointed ones. They have both been invited and accepted the invitation, and therefore are appointed by God to be part of the called out assembly, the ecclesia. 1 Corinthians 1, 2. But to those who are the called, and plural, to those who are the called ones, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. That's at 1 Corinthians 1, 24. Now the verb reflects both the invitation aspect 
and the appointment aspect of our salvation. 1 Thessalonians 1.12, Paul exhorts them to walk in a manner worthy of the God who called you into his own kingdom and glory. That noun is, uh, is clasis. And so the issue here is not that they, they were just invited, but they were invited and they have accepted the invitation so that they are considered actually appointed members in his own kingdom and glory. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, faithful is he who called you and who also will bring it to pass. That is, not only did he invite you, but he also accepted and appointed you. And so he will bring out the promised results. 2 Thessalonians 2.14 says, and it was for this that he called you by our gospel, that you would gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he called you, that is, he invited you. But you also accepted that invitation are now considered appointed. <clears throat> in this context and in the other context, you could actually view this word called as appointed. And it was for you. And it was uh, yeah for this that he appointed you by our gospel, that you would gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's looking at it from the standpoint of a completed fact. Not as an invitation that is yet to be accepted, but as an invitation that indeed was accepted, and therefore the results are in place. First Timothy six twelve says, "Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold onto the to the everlasting life to which you were called, or to which you were appointed." <clears throat> For lack of too much repetition, and uh, the everlasting life to which you were invited. And you received, and so you are actually in possession of that everlasting life. The noun uh, calling takes on the sense of appointment, as I've suggested, and can uh, therefore be can, can be seen maybe as looking at our status, the status of our salvation. Uh, after we accept the invitation, we become children of God. We become members of the church, members of his body. And so the calling, clasis, is actually our status in the kingdom of God. Uh, Ephesians 4.1 says, walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. The appointment with which you have been invited and appointed. And then throughout the writings of the apostles, those who have been called or appointed by God are also designated as the elect or chosen ones of God. So you actually have a um, connection between the word group kaleo and the word group eklektos, two different word groups. But they are paired to establish different aspects of our salvation status. Colossians 3, 12 and 13 says, so as the elect ones of God, that's using the word electos, sometimes translated chosen. So as the elect ones of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so must you do also. <clears throat> the elect ones 
eklektos, is used in the letters about nine times for believers. And this is uh, one of the reasons why we should see the word elect at Matthew 24 as a reference to believers in the Lord Jesus. This, as well as the context, uh, its other two uses in Matthew 24. And the entire context, Jesus is talking to the disciples as uh, the foundation layers for the new priestly bodies, not talking to them as members of the nation of Israel, but as members of the new nation of ambassadors for Christ. Now, let's return to the disciples. Uh, so throughout Christ's ministry, the disciples are addressed not as members of the nation of Israel, but as a group of believers who will be persecuted by Israel and by the Gentiles. Uh, Matthew 23, 34 says, uh, when he addressed the nation through its representative body, the scribes and the Pharisees, he told them, therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. Jesus had already told the disciples that they would be the ones spoken of here. Matthew 10, 17, uh, be on guard against people for they will hand you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. And of course, after Christ's resurrection, this statement was literally fulfilled uh, through the disciples and those who believed in Christ through them. He also told them that they would be the proclaimers of that gospel right up until he comes back. You will not finish with the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. And at Matthew 24, 14, he said that this gospel of the kingdom would be proclaimed throughout the world before he comes back. But the disciples did not proclaim the gospel right up until the time that Jesus came back because Jesus has not yet returned. So the application is to them and to those whom they represent as the foundation layers of the church. So this gospel that is to be proclaimed by the gospel, by, by, by the disciples, it's the very same gospel that Jesus himself had been proclaiming in every city of Israel. Luke 4.43, 8.1, Matthew 4.23 and 9.35. It's the very same gospel that, that uh, they, have, they, the disciples, have been proclaiming all along since John the baptizer, uh, telling the people to believe in him who comes later, that is in Jesus. Just as Jesus said, believe in the light so that you can become sons of light. And to Nicodemus, he said that one cannot enter the kingdom of God unless he's born again, which he explains as whoever believes in him would have everlasting life. The receipt of everlasting life is the uh, does fulfill the issue of being born again you receive new life and uh, as john clarified which i mentioned earlier <coughs> but as many as received him to them he gave authority to become children of god that is to those who believe in his name and so when someone does believe in christ they are delivered out from the authority of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the son of his love colossians 1 13. After Christ's resurrection, he told them 
you guys are witnesses of all these things. In Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. So that repentance for forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. Matthew 28, the so-called Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples. Those who become disciples through the ministry of a disciple of the kingdom of God, likewise becomes a disciple of the kingdom of God. So, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Matthew 10, 23, obviously they did not proclaim until his coming. But they started and were the foundation layers of the group, the new nation, that would be the proclaimers of the kingdom of God throughout the next unknown number of years until the Son of Man comes back. Just as Jesus uh, uh, indicated at John 17, 20 in his prayer, I don't ask on behalf of these alone when he was praying to the Father concerning the disciples, but for those also who believe in me through their word. Jesus gave them the commission to proclaim the gospel after his resurrection. Acts 1.8, which is exactly what happened. At the end of Paul's ministry, as I mentioned earlier at Acts 28, 23 and 31, when they had set a day for Paul, People came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God, trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets and from morning until evening. He was not teaching them about a physical Davidic earthly kingdom. He was talking to them about entering into a here and now kingdom of God and living in a here and now kingdom of God. It's the very same gospel also that's mentioned in the letters of Paul later, or maybe I should say earlier, uh, and Peter. And we should be reminded of the model prayer that Jesus suggested at Matthew 6, 9 through 13. At verse 10, which includes the expression of this attitude, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. This expresses in prayer the desire of the believer that God's kingdom standards, righteousness, justice, mercy, and the love of God, might be promoted here on earth as believers represent the kingdom of God in their lives. That is, seek first the kingdom of God. This is definitely not praying for the millennial earthly kingdom to arrive. And this is what Paul is writing about at Colossians 4.11. 4. Fellow workers for the kingdom of God, not an earthly kingdom. The kingdom of God needs to be presently represented and promoted. Because as Jesus taught, it is currently under attack. He clarified this at, at Matthew eleven twelve, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God is under attack and attackers are plundering it. The attack, of course, comes primarily from Satan, demons, and false teachers. As Jesus stated at John 8.44, he tells the satanic religious leaders of the nation, scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, you are of your father, the devil. Paul wrote about it at Ephesians 6.11 and 12. 
but on the full armor of God, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Peter wrote at 1 Peter 5, 8, Be in control, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Each and every believer needs to be constantly on their guard by knowing and using the standards of God's word to recognize and resist not only the advances from uh, the satanic realm, but also from our own old sin nature. So the constant attack from false doctrine, doctrine of demons, needs to be repulsed. And it is the testimony of believers that pushes back against that evil. That spiritual factor is the primary focus during the church age, as seen in its amplification in the new covenant. They were not looking for an earthly kingdom. For that matter, the Old Testament believers were not looking for an earthly kingdom either. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen and welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such, such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their, uh, that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been seeking or rather thinking of that country which they left, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And in the context, that is a heavenly city, the ultimate uh, heavenly uh, kingdom of God through resurrection. And in the apostolic writings, there's no mention of an earthly kingdom. In fact, the apostolic writings reflect exactly what Jesus taught about entrance into and living here and now in God's kingdom of light. Uh, entrance, uh, for example, Colossians 1.13, for he rescued us out from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And for Christian living, Paul wrote at Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not uh, involving eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy through the Holy Spirit. So as citizens of a heavenly kingdom and disciples of that kingdom of God, we should walk in a manner worthy of our appointment, worthy of our citizenship worthy of our status in the kingdom of God. As Paul wrote, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And at Romans 12, 2, stop being conformed to this age's viewpoint, but be undergoing transformation by the renewing of the mind so that you can evaluate approvingly what is the will of God, that it is intrinsically good, and pleasingly good and sufficiently complete. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. 